Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. Would you remain standing for God's word in Zechariah 1, 1 through 6? It reads, um, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berchai, the son of Edu, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. Well, let us pray and ask the Lord to be present with us. Father, we come this morning needy, broken and lost we are in need of our good shepherd of your guidance and we need our lord we pray that you illuminate our eyes to see and our ears to hear we pray for your spirit's presence with us that we may see christ glorified in jesus name amen you may be seated um It was during my second year working in youth ministry, and it was on a youth group night where I watched a student pick on another student. And like a good youth worker, I pulled him aside to talk to him, and and I told him what I saw him doing. The student, knowing he was caught, I would expect that he would say, I'm so sorry, how can I make this right, and apologize, because he was caught. Boy, was I wrong. The student came up with every single excuse in the book as to why it wasn't his fault. And if you're a parent or you're a teacher, you know this very well. Um, Such as, he deserved it. Well, he was mean to me first. And a bunch more. And then my frustration, trying him to see his fault, began to rise and rise and rise. Because he did not want to repent. He wanted so much more to be right. And during the same week, someone in my circles was doing something I disagreed with. And fair to say, it negatively affected me. They hurt me. I began to build a grudge. I had no desire to talk with them. Because in my head, they weren't worth it. I would rather be right than have a hard conversation. They were wrong after all, and I'm a more thoughtful person. I give more attention to things that are really important, and I'm a harder worker than them. Then I realized I was doing the same thing the student was doing. I couldn't see my own fault. I did not have a desire to repent or reconcile with this individual in my life. I was just as stubborn as the student who frustrated me. Maybe you've found times in your life that it's hard to repent. Maybe you've struggled to confess your sin and turn to God. It could be that you're angry at God. And this is the first time you've been in worship for a long time. 
Or you might believe your sin is too big for God to forgive. The passage this morning is an invitation to return to God. The prophet Zechariah is writing to a people who are rebuilding and renewing their lives after the exile. Zechariah has a word for them, not from himself, but from the Lord. In today's passage, we see that God's word is fulfilling his purposes. So we must repent and turn back to him. Or to say it another way, God's word leads us back to himself by making us look at ourselves and see our sin and run to the one who can make us clean again. This morning, we will see that God's word warns us about a heart of sin and that God's word leads us to repentance and God's word reveals to us his purposes. So first, God's word warns us about our heart of sin. If if you have your Bible still out, would you turn back to verses 1 and 2 and 4 and 5? It reads, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berchai, son of Edu, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Verse 4, Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? The book of Zechariah was written after the Babylonian exile. The exile where God's people were taken out of their homes and moved to another land. Imagine that, being taken out of your home for 70 years and coming back. This was was 70 years of exile, 70 years. And now they're rebuilding. They're, They're starting with the temple so God could dwell with them again. And there's a word from the Lord, from the prophet Zechariah. And as we think about the human author, we must ask the question, who is Zechariah? Zechariah was one of the prophets who was involved in rebuilding the temple around 520 B.C. Prophets revealed to us God's word for his plan of redemption. They also warn us, and prophecy is used to sway God's people. It's used to influence God's people. Zechariah's name even means the Lord remembers The Lord remembers, which will be an important theme throughout the whole book. God remembers his covenant people. And right away, here in verse 1, we catch a couple different things going on. First, we see mention of a king, specifically Darius, who is a Persian king. He is a foreign king. And why would Zechariah, why would he begin his, his book by naming a foreign king? It would be like me writing a letter and saying, these are the days of King Charles III. We even know through other prophetic books that there is mention of other Israel's kings, their own kings. So why does he do so? Well, the people are coming out of exile. They don't have a king. They are kingless. They are now starting the the process of returning and rebuilding. And this generation may have been even born in exile. It's been 70 years. This is a new generation coming out of exile. They're, all they know is Babylon. So the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah with a message to God's people, a broken, lost, and needy people, a message of salvation. Zechariah will bring the message of God, preserving a remnant from the world's powers. Furthermore, we see the book of Zechariah is a message of victory. 
The Lord of hosts shows up five times in our passage. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. And this Lord of hosts can also be translated the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies is way more powerful than any neighboring nation. So Zechariah is a book of God's victory. It's also a message that does not start so pretty. It starts with a reminder of anger and judgment. Here in the first six verses, we see the anger of the Lord. The Lord was very angry with their fathers. The former prophets cried out to repent and turn back to the Lord, and they did not listen. They chose to worship other gods. Their hearts were filled with sin. So God justly judged and punished the people through the nation of Babylon, outcasting them into a foreign land, and they were exiled for 70 years. Picture this. The first six verses of Zechariah can be, can be viewed like a Florida hurricane. Uh, we Floridians know all too much about hurricanes, the heavy winds, the loud rain, the worries as, did my neighbor take in his chairs or not? Um, or did I put enough sandbags out? And even more chaos, especially this year, we, can, we, we caught a lot of that. Until it stops, right? The hurricane stops. The wind stops. And you go outside and you look around and you see the calm. And then before you look at your phone, you're like, am I in the eye of the storm or is it over? Uh, am I in the eye of the storm or is the storm done? Israel has to see whether they are in the eye of the storm and, when, and will also turn away from God and receive their judgments like their fathers did? Or will the storm end and they will turn back again to God? They're in the process of knowing what they're going to do. Will they repent or will they worship other gods? The people of God were warned in many different ways by prophets of this coming judgment. And they were invited to return and repent time and time again. This isn't one time. This is over and over again. We see this in Isaiah 6, a perfect example of this tension of judgment and offering to repent. It says, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. We can see this in the life of Jesus, how he has had righteous anger. Jesus overturned the tables when they made the house of prayer a house of robbery. Jesus' anger was righteous in doing so, turning over the tables. God's ways are good. The psalmist writes, Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. But now here in Zechariah, he reminds them of the Lord's anger at their fathers. The Lord is warning them of judgment, of turning away from the Lord. Anthony Pedersen, who is a Old Testament scholar, writes, The heart of sin as a heart that rejects the word of God. Indeed, to reject God's word is to reject God himself. This is why God is so angry with the fathers who experience his judgment. End quote. The heart of sin rejects God's word. As I mentioned earlier, I used to work in the youth department at Seven Rivers. And when you do youth ministry, you got a lot of youth ministry stories. I remember once I had this great idea of like, I'm going to start subbing at the school. Because Seven Rivers has a school attached to it. I was like, this is a great way to be with students in their day-to-day. -day. I was thinking, this is such a great opportunity. 
great opportunity to get time with students. And it was going great. I loved it at first. I remember telling the students uh, to have conversations about Jesus while they were doing their homework. And I had one student uh, that was a bit defiant. Uh, and he would be defiant at every corner. I remember telling the students, sit down and do the assignment. Over and over again, he would just get up and wander around the room. And I, would, I gave him one last warning, and eventually I had to send him down to administration. And I thought this would hurt my relationship with the student. But in some ways, it made it stronger. It built uh, a respect for each other. In a similar way, God has given warnings to the people of Israel. And for the previous generation, he has executed his judgment on them. Their hearts of sin caused the rejection of God and his word, even after he invites them time and time again to repent and return, except for a remnant that repented. Now, this generation has an opportunity to come back, to not be like the previous generation, to listen, to repent, to hear the warning once again, to have the same fate as their fathers, but to hear the warning that God has given them. So God graciously gives a word of warning about our heart of sin. And God's word also leads us to repentance. Verses 3 and 4 read, Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention, declares the Lord. Zechariah uses the Hebrew word to repent four times in this passage. It shows up in our translation as return, and it shows up as repent. So Zechariah is about repenting to God and returning to God. And this is a common theme throughout the whole Bible, not just the prophets. Even Jesus' ministry. Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. A sower goes out to sow, and he sows seeds that fall on our four soils, three to death and one to life. The parable goes on to be explained through Isaiah 6. Some will be judged, and some will repent and return back to God. I don't know if you're like me. When I read passages of God's people turning away from God, it's not too hard to see myself in that. I, too, have chosen to worship other, our, our culture's gods, such as money, status, and comfort. We are lost sheep, invited by the guidance of the good shepherd to repent. Sheep are foolish. We just run off. We, we run into things. Um, but we need a good shepherd to guide us. This warning to God's people is a word of grace. It's a word of repentance. But as we take a step back for a minute and see the scriptures as a whole, we see repentance only happens through the guiding hand of God through Jesus Christ. John fifteen five says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't even bear fruit apart from God, apart from Christ. Ephesians 3 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. This is the foundation of turning to God. We love because he first loved us. We must be grounded in order to even see our sin. Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing God's word. And Christ's word brings us to see that kingdom people are mar marked by this repentance, that those in Christ in this life are not perfect, 
and still sway, but are led to repentance and know that the good shepherd will leave the 99 to, to chase the one. So what does it look like to repent, and how can we define it? Anthony Pedersen writes, to repent is more than feeling sorry for wrongdoing. It's not doing penance or punishing yourself for your sin. It's not a human work by which we can earn forgiveness. Repentance is turning from evil ways and evil deeds back to God and obedience to his word. It's not a one-time act, but an ongoing daily response to God's word. It's a daily response to God's word. So when we read God's word, we are called into repentance. We are called into repentance because the people of God are marked by repentance. It's responding to God's word. It's returning to God. Paul writes in Romans that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So when we are repenting in our lives, God is actually being kind to us. He is being kind to us. He is showing us his kindness. He's being merciful to us. So I encourage you to even think about your life. Where in your life are you being called to repent? And if you can't think of a place, I encourage you to listen to God's word and be led into repentance. One of my friends growing up had one of the best relationships with his father. His father loved him so well. They seemed like the closest friends. And he said to me that one of the most profound moments of his faith, his walk, was the moment when his dad said, I'm sorry. When his dad repented to him. His dad would say what he did wrong. He would admit his fault. And that was the moment for him that even his dad, who he loved so much, who he looked up to beyond all measure, was the moment where he realized that his dad needed Jesus too. It was the moment where he realized that his dad wasn't perfect, that his dad was also a lost sheep. And for my friend, his father's repentance is what showed him Jesus. Now as my friend is older, he now leads his kids the same way, by showing them the gospel through repentance. Um, Thomas Brooks, a Puritan writer, wrote a book on the devices of Satan. And one of those devices was to make you believe that your sin was too big. That you had been doing this sin over and over again, and you're stuck in it. No way God will forgive you. Brooks goes on to dis- display the remedy, though, to, evil, to Satan's device. He says something along the lines of, if your sin is that big, and you're, you do it over and over again, you repeat it, well, you need Jesus all the more. Would a healthy patient need a doctor? No, it's the ones who are most sick that need a doctor. So all the more a bigger sinner needs a bigger Savior. So go to Jesus. Return to him. Your sin is not too big. He will embrace you. He will restore you. Run to the great physician and lay your burdens at his feet and receive the unearned favor of a loving, kind, and merciful father. That is who he is. So God's word warns us about our heart of sin. It leads sinners into repentance. And lastly, God's word lasts forever for his purposes. Turn back with me one last time at verses 5 and 6. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? By my word and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, do they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he dealt with us. 
God's word achieves his purposes. In this passage, we see that he displays those who are no longer here. He says, where are your fathers? Where are those prophets? But God's word lasts forever. God's word outlasts even the prophets. They are no longer with us. They are not here. But what is still here is God's word. God's word is with us. The phrase, my word and my statutes, is a language often used in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28.15 says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I commanded you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed be those who don't do all the statutes and all the commandments, who don't obey all the laws. Who can do that? Who can obey all the laws? Well, no one can. No one does. In fact, if you trust in the law, you are put under a curse. Paul in Galatians brings this out. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Paul is, Paul is saying, you think you can do it? You think you can fulfill the law? Well, that's foolish. He even says in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians! O foolish Galatians! Paul is saying that the law has a use, and that use is put to put you under a curse, because no one can fulfill it. So who then takes the curse? Well, Zechariah means the Lord remembers. He is sending a Messiah, a Redeemer, to save his people. Zechariah 9.9 leads us to see who the Redeemer is. It reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Christ, the Redeemer, has come to be a curse for us. Paul goes on in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. God fulfills his promises through the person of Jesus Christ. God remembers his promises and covenant with his people. This is Jesus Christ, the one who takes the curse for us, who takes on the judgment and the wrath of God for us. Our Savior has come, and he is a king, he is righteous, and he has salvation for his people. And he's humble, riding on a donkey. Pedersen writes, the restoration and return of God to his people was fulfilled ultimately in the coming of Jesus. Judgment for God's people is not the end of the story, right? The story is fulfilled when Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is not only a way, he's the only way to life. Cursed was Christ on a tree for us, that we may have life and be restored and turn back and repent. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ, says Paul. So the Lord here in Zechariah is reminding them of his purposes, his word, and how it lasts forever. It's an encouragement to run to his word, to love his word, to see Jesus in every part, to be readers of his word. And you know the best way to be a good reader of the Bible? The very best way to become a good reader of your Bible is to read the Bible. 
is to be a daily reader of it. His purpose is his way, and his person is revealed to us in his word and spirit. So run to it, feed on it, see Christ glorified in it. Even read the Old Testament. Um, The story of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel has had a powerful parable, it was a powerful parable in my life. And if you're new to the Bible or if you're new to Christianity, the story talks about two sons. The younger brother wanted to live life now. And he asked for his inheritance early. And the father gives him his inheritance. And he goes out and he spends it all. He parties and loses it all away. He ends up sleeping with the pigs. Then he realizes even his father's servants get treated better. Even my father's workers, they, they do okay. They do way better than sleeping with the pigs. So he runs home expecting to beg his father to just let him be a servant. And as he comes in, the father runs out to him. He puts a robe on him, gives him a ring, and says, let us throw a party because you have returned home. And the older brother, though, has been faithful all along this whole time. And he's angry. He never got the party. So he runs out of the party. He's been laboring for years. That's not fair, he thinks. I've been here. I've been working day in and day out. But he was missing the point. He's been with the father all these years. But the father still runs out to him and invites him to come back in and says, your brother is home, let us celebrate. In both cases, they were trying to receive the father's blessing, not the father himself, turning away from him. And in both cases, the father runs after them. The gospel is big enough for your sin against Jesus and loving the world, and it's big enough for your self-righteousness. The gospel is big enough for your sin against Jesus and loving the world, and it's big enough for your self-righteousness. Those who think they can earn it. Will the older brother repent and return to the party? Well, we don't know. The passage doesn't say. But will you repent and come home? Will you repent and return to the party to be with the Father? Because Zechariah means the Lord remembers. He remembers his people even after the exile. It's a book of restoration. It's a book that points us to Jesus. Our better older brother is Jesus, who takes on the curse for you, so that we may too dwell with God. Your debt is paid. God has accomplished his purposes. If you are his, you are a son and daughter. So return, return, return. Like the Father says, come celebrate. Come back into the party with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray that you can reveal yourself to us in big ways. We thank you for Jesus Christ um, and the work and the person of him. We pray uh, that this Thanksgiving we can remember your goodness, your kindness to us, and that we can move in being kind to others. Be with us this week. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.